This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate, and Hancock. This is The Art of Change. I'm David Schifrin. The Art of Change focuses on the fundamental human dynamic at the center of healthcare. We are exploring why change is so hard and how healthcare leaders can make it happen. In this conversation, we hear from two members of Faith Family Medical Center's leadership team, Dr. Parker Panovic, Chief Medical Officer, and Laura Hobson, their CEO. Gerard has had the great privilege of working with Faith Family Medical Center for the past couple of years. They are a community clinic based here in Nashville with a mission to provide the residents of Greater Nashville who are underinsured or uninsured with affordable, quality primary medical care. While the numbers don't come close to describing the impact of their work on people from across Middle Tennessee, you can get a sense of how significant it is in the fact that they provide around $8 million worth of care each year on a $2 million budget. We talk about some of that in the conversation and get into how listening carefully to patients, as well as telling good stories, plays a role in delivering better, more effective care. And although we had this conversation specifically to talk about leadership in healthcare, I hope you come out of listening, moved by the work Faith Family and other community clinics across the country are doing. For more on them, check out faithmedical.org. For more Art of Change, including previous articles and interviews, check out aoc.gerardinc.com. That's aoc.jarrardinc.com. Well, Parker, thanks for coming to the barn and joining. Yeah, it's great. Glad uh, to be here again. So we are looking at listening and storytelling, and the way we've been structuring it is, as we were talking about before, kind of the, the two sides of the same coin. There's a kind of a, a push and a pull to communication, and you have to have somebody receiving the information, and you have to have somebody presenting it in an effective way. And everything that you're doing at Faith Family Medical Center from my outside observations, it seems like it it demands just an incredible level of of listening to yeah. understand the needs and then be able to produce a result uh, that is efficient and effective uh, to help your community. So just talk about at a high level how how listening and storytelling plays a role in the work that you've done. Yeah, I, I think certainly my background as a physician helps because a lot of what you do is listen and then you try and pull that together and then tell a story that they can hear in a way they can understand uh, the story they've told you. So a lot of kind of listening and clarification. For us as a clinic, I think it carries over in a bigger way to the community. Um, a lot of times there's issues or problems that need to be solved like healthcare, but you need to know what the, what the underlying issues are. How many people does it affect? Um, how many counties are involved? What kind of space is there currently that's being filled? How many people are out there filling that need? Um, so we do a lot of listening just to figure out where we where our place is, what our niche is and all this. What about then taking that information, compiling it, and then turning it around um, and, and giving it back to the relevant stakeholders? In, mm-hmm. in, I mean, so storytelling essentially, but however you want to define that. Sure. I mean, I think we've done a lot when we look at the Affordable Care Act and we've talked about the impact that was going to make we talked about uninsured or underinsured people in the Middle Tennessee area. Uh, if you can have numbers associated with that to help tell your story, then hospitals begin to understand the impact it has for them. Emergency rooms understand the impact. And then just the general community. Uh, when you start saying things like 200,000 Middle Tennesseans don't have health care, don't have health insurance, uh, that starts to get people's attention when you can actually put a number with your story. 
Let's talk about that a little bit more because the um, the sort of the Venn diagram of data and and story mm-hmm. slash emotion is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So to talk a little bit about how that works. Uh, if the question is, you know, how do you use data in storytelling? Um, I think I've always thought of data as the framework. Data is the box that you're trying to put things in. So if people don't have a context for what they're about to hear, I think it's hard for them to hear the story. So if you can give them, present them with, here are the challenges, here are the numbers, here's who's involved, it's kind of cold, but at least they have a general understanding of what you're trying to color in later. And then when you tell your narrative, I think it allows you to convey things like purpose. Why are you doing this? And to color the individual numbers to say, these are the kinds of people that you're talking about. I guess I see them going hand in hand, whereas the data kind of drives the structure and the story. Uh, first of all, people remember stories. And mm-hmm. then second of all, I think the stories allow you to put color in it, emotion, uh, bring individual stories into it. Can you think of any examples of a time when you, either in your role as a physician or um, in an administrative role, mm-hmm. you did not tell a good story hmm. and things broke down as a result? Hmm. Yeah, I think you can... Sometimes when you encounter a, a, a patient um, and you think you know where they're taking you and you respond back with the story of, okay, so this is what I'm hearing, this is what I say, and they're like, no, that's, that's not it at all, that's not why I'm here. Sometimes that's when you have to just stop, take three steps back and say, okay, tell me why you're here. And you just start over again. And I think sometimes and you get too much of a hurry, you're trying to be time efficient, and you miss a lot of those cues you should pick up on. And so it, yeah, it helps to be able to step back sometimes and start over. Uh, and it, it, it seems to me that doing that stepping back would let you also, um, or just kind of reading between the lines of what you're saying is mm-hmm. you go from the symptom level, maybe literally, but mm-hmm. also maybe sort of figuratively, and you're now getting down to kind of root causes. So, mm-hmm. so when you, step back and say, okay, why are you here? Mm -hmm. This is the whole, it's not just because my back hurts. It's because we have poor transportation. We were trying to get somebody to school on time. And then all of a sudden you discover all these underlying issues. I mean, is that, yeah, that can certainly be a part of it. And I think that's one of the things that we, we work hard at uncovering. And, you know, our story is more of, we take care of you as a person, not as just somebody who has back pain. So whether that's emotionally, physically, spiritually, uh, we try and address all of those issues, and um, that's you don't get that without spending time. How do you build the trust um, yeah. in order to get accurate information? Yeah, well, it does go with listening. If you listen to somebody and you don't, uh, you're not judgmental when you when you listen. Your responses, you need to be careful with your responses. If your response, sometimes if you say, "Oh yes, yes," well. Maybe you shouldn't say that, or no, you shouldn't say that. You, you want to be not judging either way, so you're not steering their, their responses to you. Uh, so listening plays a huge role. And then I think if they tell you something that maybe they've guarded and haven't shared with other people, and you accept it, uh, then they're willing to share more with you. And I think that's what we see inside our rooms. Uh, people tell me a lot of things that maybe they've told no one else, and that's part of what we do is to establish that trust. That's so interesting to me because it seems like that should be baked in to medical care. You're Mm -hmm. in a room with a physician as a patient. You're telling them Mm -hmm. deeply personal information. Um, We've got plenty of rules and regulations, HIPAA and all the rest around PHI. Mm -hmm. 
but you're saying that it, it's more than that. It goes deeper than that. And that isn't always the case. I would say absolutely. I mean, I think most people figure out when you're not taking time, when you're trying to hurry and push through, when you've already made a decision, if you come across judgmental. And then some of the people we see, uh, especially in, in our kind of socioeconomic status, some of them don't have a reason to trust. Um, they've had experiences maybe with authorities or experiences with other people that don't lend them to being as open. Uh, and then you get people who are just people pleasers. They want to say all the things to make me happy, which is really not why I'm there, but they want to make me happy by the right response. And you have to work through, it's not about me. This is your visit and this is about your health. How does that translate as a leader within the organization? Um, Mm -hmm. How do you take those same principles and apply them to the rest of the team? Yeah, I think listening is huge. I think people have to know they're valued. Um, I put a big focus on system improvements and not on individual mistakes. Uh, If someone makes a mistake, that's fine. Let's figure out why and what led to that mistake, and then we can make sure it doesn't happen again. So I think, again, it's establishing that level of trust. And, of course, they're even more fearful, right, because you got money on the line. No one wants to lose their job. (laughs) (laughs) Just to say um, about the trust thing, because one thing is that our providers spend so much more time I don't know mm-hmm. how you, if you address time a little bit, mm-hmm. but it is a little bit different than lots of other healthcare. <clears throat> Let's talk about it explicitly. Um, okay. I mean, he's, we're fortunate that he can do that mm-hmm. as opposed to the regular. Yeah. I mean, if we don't specific about what we do in our clinic, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can hit that if you want to. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think certainly one way is we're just very blessed to be able to do that. We are a nonprofit. And so we have people, our the money that we get is a small portion comes from patient care and other portions come from other avenues. So we can build in extra time. So to be perfectly open, we have a real leg up on people uh, who are in private practice, perhaps. But it was a very deliberate decision made by the founders that these individuals who come to see us often are people who maybe aren't valued as highly in other areas of their life. They're working in jobs that maybe don't have the status uh, they may not have the educational level that don't have the, have the status. And so there's very few places they go where they would feel valued, where they would have time and energy and effort invested in them. And I think that's been one of the big keys to our success is that we do carve out extra time, that we ask about their family. We ask about, are you doing okay with food? And do you have a place to sleep? And I'm going to write this prescription for you. Can you afford to get this? Or I'm going to order this test for you. That's an x-ray that's going to cost $25. Can you do that now or do you need to wait a couple of weeks to get your paycheck? So we're a kind of a strange office because we talk very openly about money. We talk about challenges besides just the medical diagnosis. Uh, I do think, and I've actually done that in every practice I've ever been in, so it's not unique to our practice. Um, I've never had a patient be offended that I asked them if they could afford it. I've never had a patient who didn't share with me if, they were worried about food or shelter. As far as I know, people have been very open if you ask. Um, so I think part of it is just getting over maybe this feeling of being uncomfortable asking someone, do you have enough money to do this? Um, in our office, we're very open. And I've had a lot of patients say, wow, I've never had a doctor ask me about money before. Uh, I think we should. I think it's, uh, it's I can write you, write you the best medicine in the world, but if you can't afford to get it, or won't take it, 
Paul Dayton get. And that also has implications for overall healthcare spending. I mean, if we take this up to the the, the most macro of macro levels, mm-hmm. all those extra resources that are being put into somebody who's not going to be medically adherent, mm-hmm. uh, not taking their meds if they are able to pick them up in the first place. I mean, that's a massive amount of wasted resources. Absolutely. Yeah, if you're not, if like you said, if you're not listening to them and you're not informing and teaching and instructing and helping them to overcome obstacles to taking the medication, you're right. You've wasted a lot of time. Uh, we also do disease-specific things. So we'll pick out a disease that's very common for our people, like high blood pressure or for diabetes. And we'll dedicate a morning just to that one disease process where they can get education around diet, exercise, how to take their medicines properly, other things they should be doing, like looking at their feet or having their eyes examined. We try and bring all that together in a half a day. And so, again, maximizing the time. Uh, but they may spend a couple hours with us on those days, but then that saves them time down the road because they're not having to go to eight different places to get these tests done. Okay, so this is, it's a little, this is a little bit of a departure, but I do want to get it's a little bit more on the listening, um, and I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on this. So this is the question about when it's time to stop listening <laughs> and make a decision. Ultimately, you as the person running the show... Um, have to have to make a call. So how do you how do you do that? When do you say enough is enough and uh, we're going to go? We had this kind of situation come up not too long ago when we were um, faced with all the changes in health care and how that was going to affect faith family. So with the Affordable Care Act and um, if everybody got insurance, what would that do for our mission and that kind of thing? So we did consult with a lot of people and we listened to a lot of people and we also discussed it at length, but ultimately, you know, decided that it's time to make an executive decision and move forward because there's always going to be a need, we really believe, for a clinic like ours. There are always going to be people falling through the cracks. So that's when we struck out and uh, talked to the board about the fact that we really needed to make a permanent decision for a long-term place to be because we were renting at the time. And so that's when we started the capital campaign. Mm -hmm. And it was just finally, we decided, you know, enough is enough and (laughs) we wanted to move forward. And, and here you are now. Yeah, here we are now. It's going more than groundbreaking. You've got buildings. Building a 17,000 square foot building. Yes. And the community obviously responded and we were able to raise more than $7 million and got a little more to go, but we're almost there. Fantastic. Parker, what's... uh... (laughs) We talked about this on the way over. And that was his answer. I just felt his answer. That's perfect. (laughs) No, no, I think that's it. Uh, No, I, I think it's exactly right. I mean, there comes a time when you analyze data and you follow trends and you get expert advice, which we did from some very gracious people who brought us in. But you finally have to go back to your core mission. And this was our core mission, was that we were wanting to be able to provide care for people in Middle Tennessee who had didn't have that care. And we realized it wasn't going away. And all these other things, as important as they were and as much as they could change, were not going to change our core mission. And so we fell back to the core mission and said, we need to move forward, not just tread water. And I think it's worked out extremely well. Are there any risks, uh, it's related here, but risks to 
listening too long or oversharing. Sure. I mean, I think there's a ton of them. I mean, was it paralysis by analysis or, you know, mm-hmm. better is the enemy of good? At some point in time, you just have to take the information you have available and you have to make a decision if you're going to make any progress. Uh, so I think that's certainly one risk is you can get stuck in listening and never do anything with it. So if you're just acquiring data and not using it, that's not very beneficial. For me personally, I have to be cautious of um, just sharing too much of my own personal story. So with patients, one of the things I try never to say is, well, if it were me, this is what I would do. Because, well, they may not have my education. They may not have my background. They certainly don't have my personal experiences or social support and, and, and their desire or their tolerance for risk uh, is all different than mine. And so uh, same thing I think applies here is you you need to be careful, I think, when you're sharing stories of, you know, what would I do or this is all about me. It's not my story. It's their story. We've covered a lot of this, kind of the general questions, but let's see if we can talk a little bit more about it. Just how I'm still trying to figure it out (laughs) (laughs) how you do. Mm -hmm. $8 $8 million worth of care on a $2 million budget. Mm-hmm. And again, obviously we're talking in the context of listening and storytelling, but we can go a little bit off script. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you just get the efficiency to do that in a, in a meaningful way? <laughs> you want that one? You take that well, it has yeah. so much to do with yeah. specialists and uh, medications. And, yeah. It, it really is. It's a. It's such a cooperative effort. I think if you start looking at the only way to get that kind of efficiency out of those dollars is sure you have to start with the organization being lean. Uh, we think frugally. We use our space wisely. We're we're not frivolous. We try to make sure that people are getting quality for everything that they get. And then you do a lot of listening and studied things like how do I get this very expensive medication at a less expensive cost? And so we begin to look for ways to do that. Um, We begin to reach out to specialists and tell them our story of here's what this patient does for a living. Here's what they do and here's their story. And would you be willing to help this person? And so bringing that human element in allows our specialists then to honestly practice medicine for the reason they went into medicine, which is to help people. Um, Many of them said, your patients are our favorite patients to take care of. As much as I'd love to think it's because we have the best patients, I honestly think it's because they're being treated for the best purpose and with the best intentions. And so I think it brings a lot of joy to the people who do that. Um, part of it is reaching out to hospitals to say, if you support us in what we do, this is what we bring to you from bettering the population health. And, and I think that resonates really, really well. So when we ask for things like, could you do lab work at a discounted rate? Could you do x-rays at a discounted rate? Then we get a more positive response because they understand the overall impact they're able to have. I do think the collaborative spirit that this um, organization was founded upon back at the beginning has just uh, continued and grown. So collaborating with other providers, with other just when we make a list of our partners, it's just amazing how many there are in every which way. And so I think fostering those relationships and keeping those people 
continually focused on our mission. And again, they do really enjoy our patients. We explain to the patients that they're getting, you know, an MRI for $75 that would cost who knows what in the real world, you know, they, so they appreciate it. And we teach them to um, be appreciative and explain and, and they feel grateful. They're all paying something. So they feel like they have skin in the game and they're one of our partners really. So I think um, it's just that collaborative effort that makes everything kind of makes the magic. And I think our patients, when they pay something, they do know they're getting a great deal, but I do think it helps preserve their dignity that they are financially and personally involved in their own care. So I think it's an important piece. Awesome. So I'm interested to hear how what what you have learned, what your organization has learned, um, you know, kind of on your street corner that you think could apply if you're, mm. you know, let's say you're being asked to go speak whatever, the American Hospital Association National Conference, right? You're up mm-hmm. on stage in front of 10,000 people. What do you tell a 50 hospital system CEO? Uh, here's what we've learned, and here's why I think it applies to you too. Okay. So, I mean, I'm trying to put this in context. So you mean like if they had a clinic like ours? Yeah, but even even higher level, just okay. um, almost, maybe the way to think about it is, whatever your physical facilities and your mm-hmm. staff size and your, your mm-hmm. patient census looks like, what are the things that, that you have learned that faith family medical center has learned mm-hmm. on a very personal, you know, cause you're, you're very small, you're very focused. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a very distinct way of doing business mm-hmm. and then you've got an HCA, right? Mm-hmm. Those are probably about the, the two yeah. biggest extremes you can get. Right. Um, yeah, things I think we've learned at Faith Family that would be applicable in a broader scale uh, has been the power of listening to your patient. Uh, I think sometimes physicians or healthcare leaders think that they just need to know the answer and push through with the answer, and they think they're going to save time by doing that. Uh, I feel like in the long run, we've learned listening to the patient has uncovered problems we didn't even know existed, uh, and whether that was they can't get to the store to get good fruits and vegetables that we take for granted or whether their check doesn't come till Friday and so they don't have those monies. I think there's a lot of assumptions we make, which is that everyone is just like us and they're not. And so whether it's a language barrier or a cultural barrier or a food barrier or a financial barrier or just quite honestly, they don't buy what I'm selling having the time to listen to those people, to actually re- to reflect back or to at least present your part of why what you have to do to help them is in their best interest. Yeah, it needs time. I was once told you can't have quality time without quantity time. Uh, that was from parenting, but I think it also applies to being a healthcare provider. Last question. What are your hopes and dreams for the future? You're building this new building and... Um... Where do you want Faith Family to be in the next couple of years? As we move forward with the care that we're delivering at Faith Family, uh, we certainly have some goals. Uh, we started off three or four years ago when we decided it was time to really drive a stake in the ground and provide physically for the long-term security uh, of the people that we take care of. And so we're doing that now. I mean, there's still coming out of the ground, and we're excited about that. Um, when we get this new space won't really shift our mission. I think it just allows us to better fulfill that mission 
uh, certainly we'll have more room for wellness. We'll have more room for teaching people how to cook. We found out pretty quickly you can hand people fresh vegetables, but if all they've ever done is open a can, uh, they need some help to figure that out. And so we want to be able to do more of that. Uh, we'll have more space to just do physical medicine. We'll have more space for mental health. And so we're excited about that. And uh, we'll have more space in our pharmacy area, which will allow for teaching because across the board, if you don't use your medicine right, you don't get the most for your money. So if you don't inject correctly, if you don't in use your inhaler correctly, if you don't take your pills at the right time of day, we really want to focus on people getting the most out of the medicine. Um, I think we're looking forward to partnerships with some people who initially will lease some space from us. And so we're looking for other nonprofits, hopefully, that would uh, be complementary to what we do until we grow and need that space. And moving forward, what I'm excited about is uh, spreading the word about our services mm -hmm. and trying to educate the public about why, if they're uninsured or underinsured, they should come to Faith Family. I just think it's uh, um, hard for people to understand the differences in what we do versus, say, a minute clinic where they could get immediate relief for whatever problem they're having, but they're not going to get the attention and the time that they're going to get if they come to Faith Family, where uh, Dr. Panavec will ask them about their family, about their housing, about their spiritual life, and be able to support them in all those ways. And so I think the kind of medicine that we do just needs to be shouted from the rooftops because it's so different and hard to quantify how helpful it is. So we want people to know. But ultimately, that's the kind of medicine that should just be, it shouldn't be the kind of medicine. Right. It should just be medicine. This is how we do it. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Laura, tell us uh, where people can go find more, find out more about Faith Family. Well, they can go to our website, which is faithmedical.org. They can call our center at 615-341-0808. Um, or they could go to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you all so much. This is really fun. <laughs> That's great. All of a sudden, I was like, I don't want to do that. You know? <laughs>